is John. This is Wes. And this is Ryan. And this is the Nintendo Show, the best stand Nintendo podcast on the internet. This is going to be the mini show for the month of April. Where we announce a change of format. Yes. Because we are now a Tampa Bay Rays podcast. Ooh, yes. Those rays, oh my goodness. Yeah. Hey, I, a, <laughs> I, was, I didn't approve of this. There was an Orlando <laughs> Sentinel, which was our, our local newspaper. If anyone listening, we live in Orlando. God, uh, we're going to get so murdered one day. <laughs> I mean, I just put your address in the podcast feed, so they'll come after you. We're safe. Oh, no, no. They're going to show up and be like, you want, you can let's go find me. Oh, yeah, in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. <laughs> hey, hey, we're joking around now, but I know you wouldn't. Catch your back, John. <laughs> so, uh, uh, oh, the Orlando Sentinel, our, our local newspaper, um, they had an article about how Tampa St. Pete doesn't deserve the Rays, but Orlando does. And yeah, move the Rays to Orlando. I'm 100% on board. I agree. Yeah. No, it's a, a little bit of history, though, mm. right? That's only why I bring it up. I don't really give a shit about the Rays, yeah. to be honest. But the Orlando Rays doesn't roll off the tongue like Tampa Bay. I'm going to change the name. Who, who, who would it be? Well, we used to have a rate. That was the the double race was our minor league team, wasn't it? Like back in the nineties, I think it was. Was that Orlando based? Yeah, 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 for sure. And then they played uh, at Tinker Field. And then uh, the Tampa uh, was the the double race, and they just changed to just the Rays. Um, I think around uh, two thousand five, two thousand six, something like that. We can't be associated with them Devils. <laughs> but we could we could be like the the Orlando Rage. I think that was like a. Um, or, or the Orlando Predators. Let's be the Orlando Predators again. <laughs> That's a, the XFL team or whatever, the arena football. Uh, yeah, I think they were the AFL team. I don't, I don't think we want to be called Predators. Like, <laughs> uh, well, so baseball uh, is a very old sport, right? So mm-hmm. it's very rare that actual history is made through the course of baseball. And, like, they even had that... People want... <laughs> <laughs> Des is here, too. You guys missed my soda? <laughs> a little bit. Um... Oh, I know, but like, yeah, they were talking about how Shohei Otani, they were acting like this was some kind of groundbreaking record that happened when he got simultaneously called for like a pitch clock violation as a batter and a pitcher. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's existed for two weeks. Let's not act like this is really some this, this magical is. event that occurred. I, mean, I think the but, only reason that's like noteworthy yeah. is because like he is a two way player. He plays pitcher and he has. Oh, he plays on both ways? Wait. Well, yeah. <laughs> I knew that was coming for you. <laughs> yeah. That's right. He, he puts the ball in play on defense, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and then also. So. Oh, but yeah. So the Rays they made history. Yeah, were they twelve and zero now? Yeah, twelve and zero. I think thirteen and zero. Thirteen. Oh yeah, they won today. Yeah. So okay. apparently, no one had ever started a season with a better record than twelve and zero or eleven and zero or whatever it was. So, yep. Yeah. They're they're real good. They're real good. They absolutely the the division is theirs to lose. Per- perfect season. Well, I know it's oh, like they play a hundred. So impressive. They play one hundred and sixty games or whatever. So it's like a thirteen and zero start. Start is hot, really, really good for them. But it's not like it didn't really necessarily I mean, it, change it, anything. They could come back down, crash back down to reality. It, it does. Yeah, it doesn't mean like it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to finish with this amazing record. But like, if you have a thirteen game winning streak at any point during, uh, throughout the entire season, you're doing real good. Oh, totally. You know, you don't win thirteen games in a row, and you know, you you could have this epic collapse and. Uh, like like a flan in the cupboard, but not likely. Um, flan in the cupboard. So what he's been watching a lot of great British baking shows. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of the names of the new Orlando Rays team, like the the Orlando Pennyworths or something. Yeah. Um, 
So, so we're, we're, we're a video game podcast. We're also an Orlando Rays podcast now. But it's, it's also like a, a time capsule. Like to address something that's happening in the world when we do these. So we have like a, a, a point of reference for where we are in history. Um, um, because I think, uh, I don't think Clarence Thomas is a very good Supreme Court judge. Oh, tend to agree. I tend to agree. That guy seems a bit unethical. You know, you, you would think that uh, being that a federal employee can't... Like, take any kind of uh, gift of more than $25, you would think that a Supreme Court justice wouldn't be allowed to go on lavish vacations funded by billionaires. Right. It's, it's, you think. Uh, it's a you gift. Think. Yeah. It's a gift. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you think that, uh, you know, that that's what the, the founders had in mind when they crafted the Constitution? Like, hey, let's make sure that our, uh, our high priests of the land, our Supreme Court judges, don't get on a private jet and fly to South America. You think they had that in mind? You think they were thinking about that? I, I can't imagine they ever thought, uh, could could think of the power that the highest courts in the land would carry. Or what airplanes might be. Yeah, or airplanes. I think about that with the Second Amendment. It's like when they talk about a well-regulated militia, they had no idea that we would have... Sit, like it take, take, takes a minute to load a pellet into a thing and shoot it in their time, much less having like a 60-round cartridge that you could spray in 10 seconds. Yep. You know. Oh. So, so just for our point of chronological reference here, I fixed it. <laughs> just for our point of chronological reference, uh, the, the the whole thing was like Clarence Thomas, of course, accepting gifts from this billionaire, and this billionaire just so happened to be a big old fan of Adolf Hitler, despite what he says. He has all this, like, Nazi memorabilia, a signed copy of Mein Kampf that I presume he just keeps at the, like, in, in his foyer, like, as a Bible. He has a tattoo of the Hitler stash, but, like, above where the tramp staff goes. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, all, all this, like, sort of memorabilia and uh, 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 mementos to uh, horrible autocratic leaders like Hitler and George W. Bush... Um, yeah, and I, I think, like, the fact that this guy is probably a Nazi kind of sucked a lot of the oxygen out of, like, the actual story, because, you know, we got Nazis everywhere, they're a dime a dozen, but there's nine Supreme Court justices, and one of them is taking bribes. Yeah. Wait, what was it they were saying? Like, oh, well, we've been friends for 31 years, and then everyone took that opportunity to point out, like, you've been on the Supreme Court for 31 years. Right. Of course, he's, this guy's buying influence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a uh, it's a broken judicial system. Absolutely, is. we we have uh, these nine high priests, and there there's no one uh, uh, regulating their behavior. They just kind of do whatever they want, and they've been entrusted just kind of like police yourselves. Go ahead and uh, keep yourselves in check. Um, it's a mess. It's a bit of a mess. Yeah, I think that there is a real stress test going on with the. Uh our nation's government mm. just in every facet top to bottom i think the whole system that we had always relied on that we were you know united 50 united states under a federal government is really being called into question uh it seems like more and more states are going to try to flex their muscles to see what they can get away with and as long as the supreme court is uh anti-federalist it'll happen uh, they they like to call themselves originalists, and this is like uh, an idea, philosophy of of a judicial system that I think came about 
around to like the 1980s. This is an old idea where like people are really dedicated, like let's stick to like the original text of the Constitution and try to interpret. Which is truly insane because two points on that: it's a living document. It should be revised. We've amended it 25 times. And it isn't being, again, just to talk about the Second Amendment, This was these were written by guys 250 years ago that had no idea what technology was. Who, would, who had never formed a government before. And it's like 50 words. We're, we're, we're have the, the foundation of our nation's struggle with guns centers around 50 words someone wrote 250 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? It, like, in, a, in a rush. Yeah, like, yeah, they, they totally. had, like, a deadline where they had to finish forming. Like, they had, like, th- three weeks left or something. Like, okay, fucking finish it. Go, 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 go. And yeah, like the idea that they want to be these originalists or it's, it's, it's so archaic and so insane that that's what the foundation they think should be. Well, no, like if this was done correctly, this would, there should have been mandatory revisions of every single one of them, at least every, I don't know, 50 years, a hmm. hundred years. We should revisit these laws to see how we can, even if we don't change a single thing about them, expand on them and include nuance. Hmm. You know, like that's that's the whole problem. You know, it's just that some people read the Second Amendment and think people should have rocket launchers. <laughs> when it's like, no, that is that's not that's not at all what this should mean. But yeah, I, I think that this is. Uh... Oh, I'll get you a rocket launcher while it's still legal. Yeah, so yeah. I can hang bare arms above my fireplace, right? Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I hope you're, I hope you're happy, John. I'm ranting. <laughs> but you know, it was perfect the Mario movie. We, we all saw it, right? Yeah. You guys saw it together. We did. So yeah. I, We held hands the hand, whole time. I was just about to say hand in hand. Um, I, I poured Skittles into his mouth from the bag. And it was just a delightful experience. Were they, were they sour Skittles? No. no of course, no. that's the most sensual kind of Skittle. Yeah. Yeah. Unless there's pictures, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll take pictures the next time of the dark theater. So I, I actually... Um, you could take one outside the theater. <laughs> we could. I, I I saw it. I didn't go with you guys. I went, I went the day before. I would see it again though, but I went I, the day I before. Think I think we gotta take my niece and nephews. It was just it was so good. I took the uh, the kids out of school a little bit early, a uh, couple hours early. And we went to uh, a show on Monday afternoon. Um, and I did that specifically so that it wouldn't be packed. But there's still a good amount of people in there for like a, a one forty five showing on a Monday afternoon. Um, but yeah, they really liked it. I really liked it. What'd you guys think? It was fantastic. Um, honestly, I I don't remember one a more entertaining experience I've had just sitting there in the theater watching a movie in such a long time, and just to be just so I don't know. Like I watch so many films where I you know quote unquote appreciate them. It's nice to just see one that just was joyous, mm, effortlessly you know, so that just made me happy. Um, so I, I really do appreciate that. And I think that it's uh, it's a shame that it took this long. Shame that it took thirty years or whatever for them to take another stab at making a Mario film. Well, they, they had to shrug off that last one. <laughs> it just took a minute. Oh, like, this, oh. is a, this is a direct sequel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I think um, it's also probably the most beautiful collection of melodies. I think mm. that's something oh, that, yeah. the, that the silver screen hasn't had is yeah, yeah, access to just the wonderful catalog of music. Yeah, all their little remakes of all the little main Mario, Mario songs and everything was and, great. And they really yeah. used a, a wide variety of, of tracks from different Mario games there from the like, past 30 points where they didn't and they used like regular songs, which yeah, I was yeah. like, eh, I feel like this is a missed opportunity because they have a wide library. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a little bit strange to hear like, aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think so much of the film was pitch perfect except for those. And I guess that's probably just a thing that happens with these illumination studios that produce this thing right 
that make all of these other like fucking minion movies or mm-hmm. whatever they probably just have montages with mainstream pop songs mm-hmm. like it's probably just a thing they do it doesn't make sense for a mario film but it didn't take yeah. me out of it by mario take on me yeah that that just <laughs> i mean you, you, like we said like it didn't ruin anything but when no. it, when it came on i was like oh i mean they could have just used more mario music but sure whatever yeah, yeah. And I think that their approach was also to not seemingly use more than 10 or 15 seconds of any one song within the Mario canon. They kind of sort of dispersed them in the background of the film to kind of set a scene or establish a thing. They even use them really cleverly, like Bowser playing it on his piano when he's talking to the guy, his Bowser theme song. Mm. Yeah. Just like, it just wasn't like, they weren't just slamming it in or facing it. They used it at the right points with the right songs. It was very nice. Also, the runtime is like 92 minutes. They, oh, they, they didn't have a lot of plot that they really needed to give us, so I'm sure they were very happy to be like, here's three or four you know, oh. 80s musical numbers, I guess would have been contemporary around the times of the initial releases of the games. And uh, a lot of the... But um, yeah, like, whatever. And a lot of like the, the, the points where you know you have to, to service the plot is really just this connective tissue to like, okay, let's get to our next awesome sequence where they're like just showing like, 2D platforming or a cart race. Um, those sequences are that's... so kinetic, too. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. so Parkour cool. stuff, oh, they're great. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. And I think one of the, the major complaints about this movie is that the, the plot is paper thin. And... Yeah, I mean there there are like played a Mario game. There there are there are two or three (laughs) moments specifically that I can think of where you know the conversation basically plays out like, "Hey, you should help me." No, I'm not gonna. But come on, okay, fine. And that's essentially how it plays out. There's there's until you get to I think like the maybe halfway through the second act, act 2.5, then things start to move more organically forward. Um, but early on especially, it's it's very uh, uh, contrived, the way I mean, things come together. I'm not going to this film for a character study. Like, I, I don't... <laughs> but, but some of the characterization was really good. Like, Luigi, super well characterized. Yeah. Peach, super well characterized. DK, DK was one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Like, the whole, like, scene with him and Mario and they're, like, solo on their own and they, like, have this moment where they're they're connecting over their dad issues. Like, it, it's it's... It totally made sense for where they were and, like, the relationship that you've seen with both of their dads. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we may not be friends now, but we understand each other a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it was in there. And, you know, Mario, uh, of course, is like the, the hero of the, the movie. And he's kind of like the, the... Not, like, devoid of personality, but doesn't have, like, such an extreme personality as some of the other characters like Luigi or Bowser. Yeah, and they do play on the tropes that we know with the characters, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that Mario is the brave one, Luigi is not so brave. Mm-hmm. You know? And then, yeah, I, I, I think that voice acting is great in it, too. Like, nobody at any point felt wrong or out of place. Yeah. Uh, I really love what they did with Princess Peach as a character. I thought she was yeah. probably the most robu- robust and realized person in the whole fucking thing. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, for Really, sure. really well done. <laughs> what? <laughs> Is a surprise that Ryan is backing up his, you know, Mangrove <laughs> oh, yeah. Peach. Peach is the winner. She's for real. You know? <laughs> oh, did I win again? That's right, it's Peach. <laughs> it was, it was uh, so effortless. <laughs> uh, Jack, Jack Black is a gift to mankind, I've mm. decided. Just, <laughs> just from that Peach's song and that stupid music video that he did. <laughs> uh, and it, uh, <laughs> that is, that is, that is uh, 
That's a good time. Classic <laughs> meme formula right there that is going to be remembered for quite a while. For sure. And I think it like <clears throat> became like in the, in the top 100 on Spotify or something. I've already listened to it a bunch of times on Spotify. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've had no less than three people come up to me at work and like, have you seen this? Like start playing the song on their phone. Like, yes, I've seen the Bowser song. Only one person at work has seen the music, uh, have, have seen the, the movie that I've talked to. Like <laughs> nobody has seen it other than that one guy who didn't like it. I'm no, like, he's well, wrong. he's got no soul. I don't know. Like, that just just, that, just that, wrong. What was wrong with that guy? By the way, if you listen to the soundtrack, I think the the closing theme song is, is on there, and that's fantastic because it goes through all of the different mm. like you get fuller versions of all of the little melodies that you heard throughout the film. So like that's great, and yeah, like the ridiculousness of the Jack Black song, it's fun, <laughs> and, it, and it really is kind of kind of out of left field too. You really it just kind of happens. You know, and there's really no addressing it beyond that. It's just sort of there, and then you enjoy it. Oh, and, and the version that they have on Spotify, it makes sense why they did it the way they did it, because it's sort of stitched together. It's the, like, when he's playing it in the room with um, the little magician guy. What do you Come back. Yeah, when he's in there with that one, it's about 45 seconds. And at the very end of it, when they have the closing credit bit, it's another 45 seconds. They're meant to be played continuously. And they broke it apart to play it twice in the film. So 45 seconds here, 45 seconds here, you string them together, you got a minute and a half. So, uh, Jack Black just has like that like massively boisterous personality that he brings a lot of it. And Illumination as a, a movie studio is really good at like finding the weirdest possible thing and making it memeable. So yeah. it was a good match. I, I feel like this was part of his contract too. Like, all right, I will do Bowser, but... Have to be you have to, to use one of these seven songs I've already written about Mario. <laughs> <laughs> you have to use at least one of these. <laughs> like like David Bowie and Labyrinth. Like I must wear these incredibly tight pants for no reason. Like it's just I feel like that, that was part of those contracts. That's just how pants were back then. <laughs> Zoe Dashnell too. Every single movie she's in, she has to fucking sing. Is that a thing? You never noticed. <laughs> she sings in everything. Oh. Every single thing. Uh did she sing in Almost Famous? Down, I never saw Almost Famous. Oh, what about <laughs> that, that was on our podcast. We talked about them like a year back. She does not. Yeah, I remember number... something we talked about a year back. Go on. She doesn't sing in Cloverfield. She just like has her head explode in that one. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> just as she's about to say, <laughs> the monster gets her. The microphone goes up to her mouth. <laughs> uh, anything else about the Mario movie that we need to address before we move on here? It's like shattering all kinds of box office records too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this thing is going to make a ton of money, and I don't know, like. Uh, I think that this is the sort of thing that works once. I don't know, like, I don't want there to be a Mario 2 next year. I want there to be a Mario 2, but it's all about just pulling turnips out of the ground. That would be fine. (laughs) Yeah, like, when we were spitballing after the movie, we were talking about, like, oh, what could they do next? And someone was like, well, they could make a Samus movie, or they could make a Star Fox. And we're like, no. Nobody gives a shit about that stuff. Mm. Star (laughs) Fox is a D-tier franchise. People love Mario. They love Mario, and they love the music, and it's this nostalgia trip. And it clearly works really, really well now, but don't, like, overdo this. Don't We don't mm. need to make... That doesn't need to be a cinematic universe of Nintendo shit <laughs> when the only thing people care about is fucking Mario. <laughs> We're making the joke of them doing, like, each of them having their own movies and then coming together in a Smash Brothers movie. It's like, oh my god, it's, this, it's the... Uh, <laughs> I just want a it's shot... It's the for, end game of Nintendo. <laughs> I just want a shot-for-shot remake in CG of the Paul W.S. Anderson Mortal Kombat movie, but we recast everybody as characters from Smash. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. <laughs> that'll um, be happy. I mean, like, 
I, I'm sure they'll do something. Like they they don't like leave this much money on the table. They see how much this would be. Yeah. Like Mario Two is happening. There, but, there's no way that it, it will. But I'm just saying. Like I just don't. But I, Nintendo I hope they don't feel obliged to make this like they have to make a fucking despicable. Here's a Kirby movie or, or about or this little peak marshmallow who doesn't say say a thing. And just well, Nintendo is still. Very but then nobody's nobody will watch that. They'll spend a hundred million on that, and then mm. yeah, it'll exactly. make fifty million in the theater. Yeah, exactly. And they'll be like, all right, that was a waste of time. And Nintendo is still very protective of their properties. It took them a long time to get this movie made because they wanted, but they probably wanted to to represent. It appropriately. Um, I mean, it's pitch perfect too. It just looks great. It's one of the most vibrantly colorful films I've seen since. Honestly, fucking. Do you guys ever remember the Speed Racer? Oh yeah, Speed Racer is eye candy. I thought of that one movie. when I was watching this because yeah, there, there's just so much happening in every frame. Yeah, it, it also reminded me of uh, that that movie that, that anime movie that we watched earlier this year. Oh, Bell. Uh, no, no, that was last year. Uh, Metropolis was it? Hmm. Or where? Yeah, Metropolis. Like, yeah, every, every frame was a painting. There's just so much happening at all times. Oh yeah, it's very, very busy. I just thought it was funny in the movie when Peter was like, "I just want to protect this. It's so beautiful." And it goes through a shot of the desert. <laughs> it's all great. I'm like, yeah, the breathtaking. Like, <laughs> like well, you have to have the mon- you have to have travel yeah. montage. Yeah, yeah but it was just such a weird thing she said that while staring at the bleak desert. I'm like, all things you could have put in the background. My favorite for little, that line. My favorite little moment was when she was was when Peach said something like, you know, we can't fight this war, we're too adorable, and then there's just two little mushrooms in the back that do the little heart gestures with each other. <laughs> <laughs> little hand hearts. That's, 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 that's adorable. Hey, guys, great. I, I could see, like, uh, a Luigi's Mansion movie, but... You kind of already got one. Yeah. Like, yeah. 15 minutes of this movie was Luigi with the flashlight being scared of things. Um, <laughs> so there you go. But, but like you were saying, like I, Luigi's Mansion, I don't think, is the same sort of box office smash no. that a Super Mario Brothers movie After would this, have. they would. After this. They, they, take, they take Charlie Day and go, here we go, it's, it's going to be a, a break-off of the Mario movie. It's going to be the same Luigi, and now he's looking for Mario. Like, yeah, it'll, it'll fucking sell. I mean, if you... But if you, not, not to the level that this does. No. Uh, but no, they'll still like, fucking sell. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're going to make money if they do something like that. Yeah, yeah I would... If, if you... If like, okay, quick pitch. This will work. Mario has to team up with Bowser against the villain from some other property. And there you go. I feel like that's enough to make a sequel, but not feel like a retread. And like, also... Like Wario. Not lean on... Yeah, like, maybe, yeah. Wario or something. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I like. Who are other like Mario villains in games? Like there, there were a few games where Bowser and him team up, and yeah, but their their villains are never as iconic. Mario RPG. Who was that one? Uh, it was the Smithy Gang. Maybe it's Sonic. Talking about the Smithy Gang. Yeah, they're gonna team up against Sonic. Uh, did you guys watch the uh, the final Zelda trailer for Tears of the Kingdom? I find it hilarious that you said it's the Spanish version. <laughs> like, how do you fucking keep doing this? Uh, it's happened twice. <laughs> you bought a Spanish uh, Pokemon game. Right, that was the other time. <laughs> You've said this other Spanish It was things. Edición Azul. <laughs> um... I did not watch it. Now, I mean, I'm I'm fine. I'm buying the game. It's yeah, coming it was, out in like a month. Yeah. I'll get it. It was it was three minutes of footage, and they did show a lot of things. I think the the biggest thing that I got out of this trailer was that it looked like there are some big fights, maybe boss fights, or maybe just like how you would fight like the the, the mold worm in the desert. Um, but there there seemed to be like boss fights that were more than just fighting like the the blight ganons. So there seems to be a bit more variety to yeah, the, the combat in that sense. Big thing that jumped out of the water out mm-hmm. or something like that. There was a mine cart. Yeah. 
which was great. Mike there was a flying those. pirate ship, so we're gonna get Mike Wazowski again. Perfect. That's a ten <laughs> out of ten. But yeah, I mean, nothing. Uh, I don't think anything too groundbreaking was revealed. Nothing super shocking. It was kind of like more of what you expect out of uh, out of a Zelda game, but you get well, like a lot more of like the the kinetic, like action based stuff in this trailer than you got of like the the gameplay demo where they were showing off a lot of the mechanic stuff. I'm intrigued what the uh, sword with the shield attached to the front of it is supposed to do because that was in it. Uh, they do show the master sword as well, so you know, yeah. big surprise that that'll be back in. Yeah, um, and they they kind of set up the the story of for some reason or another Zelda and Link are separated again, and he's got to go find her. So shocking that that is the plot to a Zelda game where you got to go find Zelda. Hmm. Um. You guys got any video games that you playing? I actually don't. I don't really have much to bring to the table in terms of games. I mean, the no. last, I guess I've been playing more of uh, well, the next Dead Cells, but I've talked about it a bunch already. Next up is going to be the Retro <laughs> Show. <laughs> no, no. I'm, uh, I, I got a few video games that um, I'll, I'll close the book on because I two of these three I've beaten and Octopath Traveler 2. I'm in the final boss, but it's kind of like the final boss of the, I guess, the epilogue. So you you can you finish all of the storylines for all of the eight characters, and like, okay, now here's this like final side thing that you can do. And the guy's a motherfucker because his he's got two forms. Spoilers for this game, I suppose. Uh, he's got two forms, and his uh, second form has 250,000 HP, so huge damage sponge. And once you get him down to like 50%, he'll then put a, a status condition onto the field where you can't revive your characters anymore. So it, it's not so much a battle of attrition, to, so much a battle of like how quickly can you set up and just start doing big damage. And this, this is the, definitely the boss that I've had the most trouble with, which kind of makes sense because it's the last boss, but up until this point I'd gotten like so familiar with the mechanics of this game and how to set up quickly that uh, most bosses I was taking out fairly easily within like uh, uh, two or three rounds of like setup and then do the big strikes to, to take them out. But this guy uh, keeps on like respawning in his like his limbs and shit to to do big damage. Um, yeah, kind of kind of an annoying guy. Here's what you do: all your characters do swords dance three times, mm. and you all attack at the same time. So you know. Also, iron defense. Buffing up and debuffing is an important part of, of doing big damage, but you're only ever getting like your your plus one. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly sure how much it increases your attack. I think it's like a 50% buff to your attack or special attack to use Pokemon terms. Um, but you can't stack them. All it does is extend the duration of how long that lasts. It's not even like for the entire fight. So if you one of the the hardest things about setting up is being able to time it exactly right because if you buff up your attack stat, it's only going to last for two turns and then you got to redo it. And there, there are ways to extend it other than recasting or like abilities you passive stuff that you can equip. But I, I really like the battle system. But this this guy's uh, just um, taking too long. I spent like 20 minutes doing a fight and ended up just dying. And I can't even like restart that second form. I got to go through the whole first form again. Yeah. And I don't think it's just a matter of like grinding out levels. There's got to be. Uh, I, I might just end up like looking up somebody else's strategy and how they did it and 
try to figure it out from there. You just watch their video and see how it ends. Yeah, it, it, it might come to that. It might come to that because this is like post game stuff. I don't feel a strong need to double complete the game. Yeah. Uh, I also finished off Metroid Prime. You guys. Very cool. Noted good game. Noted uh, November 2002 game. Right. Yeah. So you're getting that out of your system a little early. And it is, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I actually I'm got a cartridge of it too. I just haven't started. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, really good. I, I was actually uh, surprised um, by how like snappy it feels um, in the year of our Lord 2023, because back in you know 2002 the game like felt really really huge like you're in this massive world like all interconnected and stuff but now like playing through it again like okay well, I'm in the uh, the Magmore Caverns and it's like a series of 12 rooms connected by hallways so the scope of it definitely seems smaller than it did back then because now we've gotten even more massive games but it's still really impressive how like all of the, the the five different locations interconnect and how you like swap back and forth between them all and the, the series of power-ups that you get to keep you moving forward. It was just a, a superbly well-designed game. And a lot of the uh, the power-ups are really well-hidden. Uh, Metroid Prime 3 does this really uh, fun thing where uh, when you get toward the end of the game, there's a little side mission that you can do that will actually reveal where on the maps, like the places that still have power-ups. So it's a bit easier to backtrack and go and collect things. Um, I was also a bit surprised. Uh, I remember this game having a lot more power-ups, but I was again probably thinking more about Metroid Prime 3 because Metroid Prime 3 brings in a lot of different types of power-ups um, that you know, continues to increase on the scope of Metroid Prime 1 and 2. Yeah, super good game. I played mostly in dual analog. Uh, I did... Like I said on a previous podcast, I played a bit with the motion controls, which worked really well. But ultimately, like, dual analog was the most comfortable, but it's not, like, the perfect way to control the game. Because uh, if, you're, if you're familiar with Metroid Prime, you have uh, swappable sets. So you have, like, you know, your different visors, you have, like, a, like a regular combat visor, a scan visor, so you can, like, find all the lore and stuff throughout the world. You have a thermal visor for seeing in the dark. You have an x-ray visor, and it's mostly for uh, uh, seeing things that are, are invisible to the combat visor, but not like uh, visible through the thermal visor. And then, um, and that was controlled on the GameCube with a little D-pad below the analog stick. And then on the C-stick for the GameCube controller, that's where you had your swappable guns. You had your, your regular shot, your ice shot, your wave beam, and your plasma gun, which is the most powerful one. But... To the game's credit, all of these, none of the guns are like discardable. So you're using all of them in different ways all throughout the entire game. It's not like once you get your next gun upgrade, you never use the previous one ever again. There's there's advantages to swapping to a different gun, not only with like dealing with certain enemies, but overcoming certain obstacles. They keep everything relevant. So really well designed in that way. Uh, but on the on the GameCube controller, you just like hit the direction on the C-stick of the gun you want to swap to. But of course, on a, uh, a Pro Controller for the Switch, you're using that second analog stick to, to look around. You're using dual analogs. So you have to hold the X face button, and then that swaps the D-pad to your guns. So it takes a long time to get used to, okay, I hold this button to swap the gun, and then I let go of it if I want to swap the visor. I don't know if there would have been a, a, a better way to 
lay that out. They probably did the smartest thing uh, they, they could do in that instance. But it is a bit annoying in the heat of a fight to be like, okay, I want to continue to like look around and aim, but I want to quickly swap my gun. So now i got to take my finger off of the analog stick to move it to the face line to swap to the gun I want, and then I can continue moving around. It's a little bit clumsy. And I finished Bayonetta Origins. I was last time I talked about that one. I was very close to the end. But you wanted to go back and collect some of the little side bits of shit, right? And then when I started up the game, I was like, "Never mind. Let's go to the end." <laughs> and, you know, uh, the the penultimate boss um, was harder than the actual final boss because it was just like a, a damage bunch. It was. Um, kind of a, a boss in four phases but four short phases and like like really long ones but just this battle of attrition to where if you did not like get the precise time to counter you were just doing really small chip damage and he took a while to get through but after that there were a couple of like chase sequences that were really fun and then the final boss was really no big deal like the the right level of challenging to where I didn't feel like I was totally dominating but a, um, easy enough to where I felt like okay I, I'll, I'm able to get through this pretty successfully, and it's satisfying enough to, you know, not have been a total cakewalk. Yeah. Also, really good game. Oh, and unlocks a uh, a little one-hour side story at the end if you're interested in that kind of thing, where you play as the the Jean character from the Bayonetta series as a child, because you're playing as a child in this game. Mm. But yeah, thumbs up to that one. You guys got anything? Actually, I forgot one game. Yes. <clears throat> I haven't played one game. I got Terminal Velocity. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, it's like a very, very old game. It came out in 1995, but it is now available on the Switch. Uh, it's cool. It's really cool. I mean, I think it's really just a straightforward port. I really don't think they did anything to glitter this up. It looks and feels exactly like I remember from 1995 when I was playing it. or probably, I probably wasn't playing it in 95, but you know, back in the 90s when I played this game. Absolutely love it. It's a really, really fun uh, first slash third person uh, flight shooter mm-hmm. kind of game with uh, this really good sense of uh, like zero gravity. There is no up and down. You know, you can kind of you you can spend the whole time on a planet flying upside down, and it feels just as right as being right side up. All of these really cool sequences where you go inside the like. It'll be like a space station or even like the planet and you're just flying inside of it and doing all of this really cool stuff. Absolutely love it. It holds up really, really well. It's just, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an older game. It doesn't have all of the, you know, stuff that we come to expect in a modern game, I guess. It, it sort of shows its age a little bit. But the core gameplay is so much fun. Would absolutely recommend it. Very cool. Wes, you got anything? I saw a movie. Which one? The Menu. It's on oh, HBO ooh, Max. Ooh, yeah. I, this is our just, second Anya Taylor-Joy film. Yeah. I, I, uh, have we talked about this one? Because I saw this one too a while back. We may have. Um, but yeah, I, I saw it as well. Thumbs this, up? This, yeah, I did like it. I, I was surprised I watched it because I don't like horror, even though this really wasn't a horror movie, but it was classified as horror. It's like a dark comedy. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's more of like, uh, yeah, like you're saying, dark comedy, but like horror in like the pre-slasher era sense yeah. of horror. It was you're more not... like a psychological one. Mm-hmm. Um, where just the chef goes crazy and wants to kill those that he feels has wronged him. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's uh, it's intense for being such like a low key movie. You're not like dealing with very many like emotional outbursts, but it's very like 
Uh, it's heavy the entire time. Like it's, it just gets mm-hmm. this. There's this weight put on you when you when you finally figure out what's going on, mm-hmm. and you're just like, oh my god! Like it's it's just kind of. He kills the actor because he didn't like his movie. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, the, 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 this guy is is totally unhinged, and it's it's a really interesting movie to watch. Like, uh, how unhinged he reveals himself to be as it goes on. Because first, like, it starts off and like, okay, he's a bit of like a a weirdo, kind of like this this peculiar food yeah. artist, and then you know the murdering starts. <laughs> Yeah, in, like, in this cult-like environment, where that's a good thing. It's essentially it is a cult. It's just that the, you know, this cult is centered around like a uh, high-end cuisine. Yeah, you know, there's cults centered around every little thing in the world, and this one just happens to have that be around. Yeah, this also, also a uh, John Leguizamo, so yeah. Luigi and Pinto's Peach back together. <laughs> Which is just, it, I don't know. This movie was weird, dude. Mm. It, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I, I don't know. I'll, yeah, it was it was a it was a bizarre movie, and in the way like then they like they, they play the most dangerous game. Like okay, now we're gonna go hunt you, and then uh, uh, the, the the way that they reveal the relationship between uh, Anya Taylor Joy and her her date as mm-hmm. the the movie goes on. Yeah, this th- this movie like does some some really peculiar things with the the characters. You you realize like nobody really there is uh, normal it breaks up into like chapters with almost where it feels like that where they're like here's the recipe for this dish mm. <laughs> like this this meal this course and you're just like all right we're going to the next it breaks it up like that um yeah kind of like the, the movie clicks that broke up into chapters too <laughs> well, yeah, <I laughs> very mean, different movie though it's it's you know it's i would say it's a good movie and i enjoyed watching it, it was really entertaining I really don't ever want to watch it again, though. I don't like, either. I don't yeah, feel that was... nothing there to revisit. That was rough. Like, it was fine the one time. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's all in all, it's, it's very good, very tense. For sure. You know, there's a kind of sinister energy to him that you really don't... It's yeah. to Ray finds that he's character that you don't really and know that, where he's going or what he could do at any moment. And that sort of tension is really tough to maintain throughout an entire film. And mm-hmm. they did a really good job. I did watch uh, Clerks three. Speaking of Clerks, oh, how was that? I really liked it. I really liked the the, the Clerks movies and animated series. Um, I, I need to get around to watching three. I don't, I'm surprised I haven't yet. Uh, I, I think um, the the Clerks movies are Kevin Smith's best ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they they always have a really good balance of like his kind of raunchy humor and and more like uh, character pieces. Uh, this one de- definitely not as raunchy as Clerks Two. Clerks Two was quite quite raunchy. They have a donkey show in it. Yeah, quite <laughs> quite raunchy. But uh, I I really liked how you know you you throughout the movie figure out how their lives have gone in the time between Clerks Two and Clerks Three, but they don't really spend any time doing like heavy exposition. You don't like. Uh, there, there's a movie that I watch. Oh, I watched uh, the new Top Gun too, and Top Gun, especially like early in the movie, they devote a lot of dialogue to having to like play this catch up. Like, okay, this is what everything that's happened with this character for throughout the past thirty years since the last movie. Whereas uh, Clerks Three did a much better job of feeding you that information by uh, showing you things and interactions between characters rather than exactly spelling out what has happened. Well, we're also talking about like the difference between the high stakes world of 
air combat and then managing a fast food restaurant. I think it's higher stakes, personally. <laughs> in, in this economy? Yeah. But yeah, uh, I like Top Gun all right. I think, uh, um, maybe Ryan, you saw Top Gun. You liked that one, right? Yeah, that was really good. Uh, I think um, it, it was it was tough for me to get through the opening because uh, there is so much exposition. And right at the opening, like, there's just like this montage where they're playing <laughs> like that that danger zone song. It, it's and it's apropos of nothing. Uh, it's just planes taking off of aircraft carriers, and then you get Tom Cruise uh, working as a test pilot for the for the Navy in the next scene. Like that that had nothing to do with the movie that you're about to uh, to show. It was very very strange. Um, I think we should have cut that. Well, you know, a simple audience loves a montage. It's true. And hey, you know. They, they got one. Eat it you, you even <laughs> got, and you know, so some of the some of the callbacks were uh, a bit forced. But one that I really liked is when they play the beach football because <laughs> it's like it has this that the same like erotic energy of when they're playing shirtless volleyball in the first one. Like yeah. and now they're going to play shirtless football. How can you tell who's on what team? Don't worry about it. They're all naked. <laughs> But I, I, the the movie definitely got stronger as it went on, and as you like start getting into the character interactions, especially between uh, Maverick and Rooster, who is the son of Goose, Rooster, son of Goose. Um, and it's good to see they really put some real thinking into that one. <laughs> once you like get to their their actual training for the mission, and like in the mission itself, they're about to go on. Uh, it, it definitely it, it picks up the pace and gets more interesting. Long movie, two plus hours. Yeah, I noticed that's the thing that's been happening with a lot of the these bigger, like budgeted, the, even the higher grossing ones. They seem to have just longer run times. Hmm. Like they said, the new I haven't seen it, but the new John Wick film is like two and a half hours long. It's like, does that need to be two and a half hours? Is that that's really a journey. necessary? How many faces do we need to get shot? Keep keep it keep it tight. A nice tight ninety minutes. Bang bang, bang 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 bang. Yeah. Um, anything else about Top Gun? I wanna. No, I mean it's it's, it's a like. I I like the new one, and I think again it works very well as that sort of popcorn film, like mm. entertaining action film. So, you know, yeah, does what it needs to do. Yeah, it, it wasn't uh, a bit exposition heavy, but it wasn't insulting. No. Um, I do have a couple tier rankings. We we have a little bit of time here. Okay. Because I, I had some ready. We we had uh, talked about not doing tier ranks because you've been busy at uh, your last week of work. Yeah. You're you're retiring. Gonna start collecting that social security. Yeah, yeah that's you it. Yeah. You're gonna hop in an RV and tour the U.S. I had a five year plan, and this is uh, you know, four years and eleven months later. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm, yeah, I uh, I accept another job. So uh, in May I start up my next job. Nice. Mm-hmm. So I, I do have uh, two franchises. That I wanted to bring up here. Um, oh, before we get going, can we take a quick timeout? Yeah, quick, quick timeout and come back. Yeah, thank you.
You know what? Before we get to the tier rankings, uh, we are Turtles podcast. There you go. Do you guys like the the Mutant Mayhem trailer, the new Turtles movie? Did we? Even There's a see new. That? Did, I, I did not they see that. In, they played in the Mario movie. Oh right, they did. They did. It's a new animated one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's got a okay. really great art style. It does. It looks really really nice. I can care less. How dare you? This is the Ninja I, Turtles I, podcast. I have so. given up on Ninja Turtles, How man. dare you? Well, if it was literally during the movie we just watched, I don't remember. Yeah, the movie. It was. I remember that popping up. It was like, another one? Like, dear God, they're beating these guys to death. It looks legit. I think it looks really good. Anyway, we'll, we'll check out the trailer another time. But Mutant Mayhem. Big thumbs up for me. I'm pumped. What's the idea behind it? Is it going to be like a gritty one? Or is it like a no, comedic no, one? It's, it's, it it's, it's, action, a, it's an over top... Like it's it's an action animated, comedy. yeah. It's but it's, they're they're like young teenagers, like thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. Okay. Because I know, like everything I keep hearing about now is the whole Ronin arc, where mm. it's like much mm. grittier and darker, and they're all dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last, last Ronin is a is a comic story arc, and I don't know if it was like a limited series or if it was ongoing. But like, yeah, it, everything like the, the the world like went to shit, and there's only one turtle left. And throughout, like the the first few issues, or however long the series was going on, that they. they uh, we're taking a while to reveal which turtle was actually left because the other ones were dead. Oh, so you don't even know which one it was. Well, you do eventually find out. Yeah. I think I mean, it's Mikey, right? I think Mikey's the last one that died. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you if you want. I'm like, pretty sure if I remember correctly, it was, it was Raph dies first. Because he's the best. He got to tell the best one first. And then like Donnie, Donnie's kind of a puss. I think he falls next. <laughs> um, Leonardo probably dies doing something courageous. Like oh, and if I heard the other one, <laughs> if I heard right, Casey Jones dies too, and that's not oh. cool. That is not okay. Like, he dies of old age. Okay, good. <laughs> In a bed, surrounded by his loved ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's and Michael then Mikey's, and Mikey's there. Yeah, I mean, Michael I have Angel. a heart. I, th- I feel like they wouldn't have him him die. Well, the uh, the thing was like he he's carrying all the different weapons, so you never like early on you're not sure which one he is because he's using all of them. So which one was I? I don't know. It's Michelangelo. Oh, it's Mikey. Okay. Yeah, he's he's the last running. Tier rankings. So I got uh, two franchises, like I was saying before. Uh, let's start with Yoshi, fellas. Uh, Yoshi, Mario's sacrificial buddy. This 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 isn't gonna go well. He's got his own spinoff series. Oh, West, gut feeling. What do you think? Uh, I mean, the only thing is I can think of. Well, no, we got Wooly World and Crafted World. So yeah, this may actually do okay. Yeah. What, what do you think? Where do you think this one goes, Wes? Gut feeling. Just right up the top of your head. Gut feeling. C? Okay. Just just initial... Because I don't think it's going to do well enough in sales to put it in the B. Um, longevity, it's got it, because you know, they just came out with that Crafter World, what, a couple years ago? Well, let's, let's get into it. Let's get into let's it. Get into it. Um, so, his spin-off series, mostly platformers. You've know, got a couple of like little spin-off puzzle games. Uh, they got a little bit experimental on the GBA as well as the DS, but they reverted back to like 2D side-scrolling platforms. On more modern systems, you know, it's it's sometimes games are like a tier above entry level platformers like Kirby and No Shade Against Kirby. Uh, a lot of Kirby games are considered like very easy entry level platformers for kids. Uh, Kirby game or sorry Yoshi games always have their own like physics and mechanics that make them clearly distinguishable from Mario platformers. Uh, you have things like your your egg throwing, your flutter jumps. Uh, grabbing enemies with your tongue, grabbing obstacles with your tongue, uh, altering the environment. You have like the uh, the sort of score attack modes where you want to find all the different collectibles throughout the stages. 
Um, but let's look into the, the specifics. For longevity, this uh, the character himself first appeared in Mario World in 1990. Uh, he got his own game in 1991 on the NES. It was a puzzle game. But he huh. gets his own platformer in 1995. So, by the most conservative methods, the franchise has been around for about 30 years. Uh, you get games on the Super Nintendo, uh, NES, GBA, N64, DS, Wii U, and Switch. So, represented on a lot of different platforms. I think for longevity, 30 years, get CNA. For iconography, I mean, he's got to be on the shortlist for most recognizable Nintendo characters. I think so, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Certainly, like, in the top five of the Mario universe, everybody knows Yoshi. Although Yoshi as a race was only glimpsed at in the movie. It's true. Yeah, just in the travel montage. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's got a great design, kind of a timeless design. Hasn't really changed all that much over the years. You've got different color Yoshis, and they're all just, they're all just Yoshi. Uh, so I, I think for iconography, you also get an A. For sales... They're not super amazing, but they're they're good. Uh, Yoshi's Island on the Super Nintendo, definitely the high point. You're looking at 4 million sales. Yoshi's Story on the N64, 2.85. It was r- r- right around here that they sort of, they, they took a, a nose. They had a sort of a, uh, a slow period. So Topsy-Turvy for the GBA, which is like a motion control game, uh, was 650,000. So that one didn't break the million mark, and then Touch and Go, which was a launch game for the original DS, moves 380,000, and that one, again, not a traditional 2D platformer. That was uh, an auto-scrolling touchscreen control game, where it's more like a, a score attack game rather than a game where you're doing like platforming and working your way through levels and stages. But then the franchise went back to... The, uh, the the 2D side-scrolling platforming routes with Yoshi's Island DS for the original DS. That one manages 2.91 million in sales, so did pretty well. Uh, not super uh, well-remembered or well-liked, but I played this game back when it was out, and I thought it was all right. Uh, then Yoshi's New Island on 3DS does 1.66 million, so pretty good. Does okay. Woolly World on Wii U, 1.37 million. Not bad for Wii U. And then Yoshi's Crafted World on Switch does 1.84 million. It is an early Switch game, but it is a Switch game. You probably expect more things to move more units on Switch than you would on these other platforms like Wii U or even 3DS. And the Switch has moved over 100 million units of hardware. Shame on Crafted World. Yeah, Crafted World. It says here, uh, the 2022 CESA Games white paper revealed that Yoshi's Crafted World sold 3.01 million. Oh, very good. As of December 2021. Okay. Not bad. Yeah, so some more uh, more updated numbers, yeah. I mean, I think think the sales are good enough to get you a B in the sales category, kind of right in line with the the Fire Emblem Xenoblade uh, sales numbers. Um... And as far as like the, the the prestige or like the, the perception of the series, uh, I mean the reviews took took a bit of a nosedive after the original Super Nintendo game, uh, but they've been slowly on the uptick. You're looking at like I think the original was like in like the the mid eights or nines, and then uh, like aggregate scores for Yoshi's Story and then Topsy Turvy 
down in like the sixes, and then they've just been working back up to like the sevens and the high like, sevens. Wait, is this an A tier? Um, there is almost a game on every series. He is a constant in Smash Brothers since the start. He makes tons of cameos and all sorts of different games. Uh, super important character to the Mario franchise in general. I think for prestige, you're getting an A. Yeah. Maybe a B because of some low review scores, but they are on the uptick. So I think for for an overall score, I think Yoshi gets an A. Yeah. I did think the games did that well. What do you guys think? I'm surprised. I mean, I like to do more in-depths before I say anything, but just at a glance, I would say a B plus or an A minus. Okay. You know, uh, yeah, Yoshi is Yoshi, but he's nothing without Mario. Um, Ooh, cold. (laughs) Uh, Yoshi carries that man. (laughs) Yeah, and Mario is visible on Yoshi in most of his games. Like, so... Yeah, no, but that said, yeah, it is is one of the most recognizable characters in all of Nintendo. Um, It sells pretty well. It seems like if they just came out with a generic Yoshi game tomorrow, you could probably pencil it in for a couple million sold. Just on the Yoshi factor alone, it's pretty good. Yeah, I don't think it's silly. It doesn't doesn't seem amazing, and you know it's also I'm seeing some pretty big gaps here. Like, you know, there what would this be in 15 years? They've made three games. You know, like that's not a lot of content, but still pretty good. Yeah, I, I think if it's that big of a character, where it's like in Mario Party and Kart and Smash, all that stuff, it's everywhere. So I mean. Yeah, I mean, a, I, a seems reasonable. I would just say probably a low A. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I mean, I I would uh, I would entertain like a a, a B for this. Uh, I would say though that like we haven't gotten a new Donkey Kong game since 2014. And yeah, but Donkey Kong's better. Which which one? Which one has he's S tier? Which one had speaking lines in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really liked him in the movie. I thought he was great. <laughs> yeah, no. Again, I think that's that's right exactly where it's at. I think an A minus B plus that just feels right based on what what we what I'm seeing here at a, at a quick glance. It took me a minute to realize that that was Seth Seth Rogen too. I was like, oh, oh yeah? shit! Like, what was it when he did the laugh? Yeah. Like, when he had, like, more lines outside the fight after that, when he wasn't just, like, yelling. That that was the the scene, like, the, the DK Mario fight scene. That was the scene where Mika was, like, the most bouncing out of her chair. <laughs> she she gets into it. Like, when she's, like, there's a... Yay, violence! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. She, she just, like, like puts her, her legs up on the chair, like, hops up and down. Um, And next up, the other one that I got for today is F-Zero, fellas. All right, Wes, what you got feeling? I mean, it, 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 Dave, you want to be kind? I don't like we haven't had F Zero in forever, so its longevity is nonsense. All right, let's break it down. <laughs> uh, F Zero is a precision high speed racer. It's also a graphic showcase, usually on the systems that it's on when it makes an appearance, uh, where it shows off like different capabilities of systems for the Super Nintendo. They're showing off like their Mode Seven for like pseudo like the 3D looking stuff. Um, on the N64, they were showing off what they could do with polygons, a really nice looking game for that system. Uh, starts out as a four participant race, then the franchise became about like packing the field with as many racers as you can get. Like I think that the highest they ever got was 30, 30 racers on the track at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah the, the chaos is a big part of the personality. Mad Max this shit. I don't... Um, it does also have an arcade game, a the arcade game. 
you guys. There's a GameCube game, we'll get to it eventually, but then there's integration with the arcade game where you can make like a custom vehicle on your GameCube and like load that data onto your memory card, plug it into the arcade game and race with your custom racer and that. That's thing. pretty cool. So, you know, they there there was a point in the mid aughts, the early aughts, where they were really trying to make this franchise a thing. Um, and then there's also a there, there are two GBA games that came out worldwide and a third GBA game that came out only in Japan. Well, let's, let's get into specifics. Uh, for longevity, it released on the Super Famicom in 1990. Uh, there have been five installments in the main console and handheld series, but you haven't gotten one since 2003, so we're looking at a 13-year span. It's not great, Um and I put it at below average, so at a D for that longevity. For iconography, there's tons of silly and bombastic characters. Uh, if you get a chance to look up a list of the different F-Zero characters, it gets weird. There's like uh, a group of three children that are the racers in the F-Zero Grand Prix. Yeah, but we, only know, we only know Falcon. Like exactly. I, I don't know any of these other... Racers. The, the only character that someone might know is Captain Falcon. Unless you're a super hardcore fan of uh, F-Zero games, you probably don't recognize... I remember what they all look like by their pictures, but I don't remember them by name. Dr. Stewart. Mm. Pico. And even then, most people know Captain Falcon because of Smash. Samurai Goro. Well, it's really, you've got, you know, you've got the yellow car, which mm. is faster. Uh, Falcon rides the blue car. You got the big fat guy in Samurai Goro. the pinkish car, and then the alien-looking dude that's in the green car. So, yep. like, I mean, I remember all by picture, but one I remember by name. Um, so I think for iconography, you're also getting a D. For sales, they peaked super early and then crashed real hard. So for the Super Nintendo, which was uh, I think the launch game in North America. Yeah. Oh wait, no, Coastal. Coastal launch. No, this is in fact a launch title. It was uh, this and Pilot Wings and Mario World or something like that. But uh, five million, pretty good, pretty darn good. Very good sales numbers, yeah. Uh, F Zero X on the N sixty four manages to move one point one million. Uh, max velocity on the GBA has also managed to uh, to eke out a million. And then when you get to uh, GX for the GameCube, 650000 And then GP Legends also for the GBA, 160000 So this thing really deflated pretty quickly there. Um, you, you might be able to be generous and, and go with a, a D for sales just based on how well it was able to do early on. But that's the absolute highest I think you could go there for like the, the prestige of the series. Usually gets pretty well reviewed. In, uh, in the mid-8s, uh, still does get representation in Smash. Also, like, in Nintendo Land, the new Mario Kart, the newest Mario Kart game, um, has some um, F-Zero representation with, uh, I think, one of the stages, and then there's a racer, like uh, a cart that's modeled after the Blue Falcon. But this, this series has been entirely eclipsed by Mario Kart. Uh, Mario Kart, definitely much more of a party racer, but there are difficulty modes that you can implement in Mario Kart that does a lot of the same things that you would be doing in F-Zero, specifically like really high-speed races, not like the same sort of long-form tracks, but really like breakneck to where you have to be... like It turns parts of Mario Kart into more of a precision racer. Um, there's really not much room 
on in like the, the Nintendo uh, docket of or a release slate of games for them to do a second first party racer. Like Mario Kart is really all they need at this point. Uh, Nintendo does acknowledge the existence of this series every once in a while, mostly to say they have no plans to do a new one. <laughs> Uh, but you know, you'll like I was saying, like Nintendo Land. Here, here's Captain Falcon. He, he still shows up as a playable character in Smash. He hasn't been relegated to like an assist trophy or anything. Um, and they still release like the games on their their legacy applications and systems. And you still see F Zero for the Super Nintendo and F Zero X for the N sixty four re release on Virtual Console. And I don't know if it's on the Switch expansion, but I think it it might be. And if not, it will be eventually. Um, I'm not willing to make a total definitive judgment and say this series is totally dead, I think there still could be another one someday. But I think it would take a, um, a significant like regime change or, or uh, some like, new young hotshot or something Nintendo to, to bring this thing back. Or, or someone at an outside like third-party developer putting together a good pitch for why uh, an F-Zero game would be something that could be successful. Um... You know, if uh, this is really close to being a, a dead franchise, but I don't think is entirely dead just yet. So I think overall, D, low D. Yeah. Any uh, any mm. objections? No. I would say. Well, I think you bring up a good point where you're talking about Mario Kart, where the paths diverged. This isn't the kind of game that works on a Nintendo console generally. It's they they don't want a tight technical racer that's like a Twitch one. They want one that's like a party game. Kind of like you got with Mario Kart. So, I don't know. I think that uh, F-Zero has has its way of doing it and it's just not really conducive to Nintendo. I think that's probably the biggest thing you could say. Um, I would argue with like like the, this thing sold five million copies on the Super Nintendo. That's really fucking impressive. That's really fuck. A dollar made in nineteen ninety is probably worth like twenty made today. Star Fox did similar numbers on Super Nintendo. We got him down on the D tier. Yeah, and it's mm. it's. I, I think like in the same way that Star Fox was a bit mismanaged, quite mismanaged. Uh, F Zero in the same way because when you look at who's developing the games across all these uh, different games in the early aughts, it's all done by different studios. They didn't seem to have like a cohesive vision for what this this franchise was going to be going into a modern era. Yeah, and also, I mean, Falcon's a way bigger character than I think you're giving him credit for. Yeah. I think I think you managed to be like at least a good half grade lower on everything than I think you should have been. I'm not claiming that this is like an amazing franchise, but. It's iconic. It's got its place. The music is fucking incredible. This is one of the best soundtracks you're going to find on a Nintendo game is on that first F-Zero cart. Um, I think it's pretty good. You say low D, I say high D. Maybe even a low C. I'd love to see what else is around the low C, high D territory and say for sure that, like... I can tell you. Yeah, let's hear it. What do you uh, Star Fox. Yeah, uh, this, is, this is totally on par with Star Fox. Maybe better than Star Fox. Star Fox uh, is in uh, the D tier. When you're looking at the low Cs, you're looking at things like uh, Bayonetta, Punch-Out, um, Art Academy. Yeah. <laughs> Bayonetta is probably, is probably more important than Bayonetta. I mean, the last game was in 2003. We got Bayonetta last week. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's fine and all. I don't know. 
I think F zero is probably a little bit more meaningful than what you're giving it credit for. Hmm. I think it's fine on pair with Starfire. Again, you didn't let me do research, man. You didn't give me any well, <laughs> chance we, to research this we, shit. We, 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 I, I, I'll just uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stick it next to Star Fox with an asterisk. Okay. We, we okay. can next week show you want to research this game again and be like, listen, motherfucker, you're completely wrong. It is in fact I confirmed a D plus. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so I'm going to put both uh, Yoshi and F Zero in here with an asterisk because we can always re- we can revisit anything we want as we go through because you know, depending on uh, how things shake out, we might no want no I I have this list in stone and I have a chisel on everything. Mm. But you you place a lot of value in like this idea that a franchise is quote unquote dead. Mm. And yeah, I think there will not be a triple A F Zero game anytime soon maybe ever again no no but like they could totally do some stuff with this property if they felt like it if anything this is just another one of those it's just gonna be in smash they're not gonna do anything else with them i think they might yeah i think i don't don't think it's it's i don't think it's a statistical impossibility really that f-zero is gone i don't think it's an impossibility but i find it very unlikely i would agree i don't think it's likely it's, but but, but they'll, and again they'll use every bit of this IP they can in the various ways that they do. Like yeah, it'll be in Smash for forever. It'll be a thing in Mario Kart for forever. They'll do something with Starbucks before they do something with F Zero. <laughs> Maybe, but you know, are they going to do another Pushmo? Are they going to do another Legendary Starfy? Doubt it. Are they going to do another Chibi Robo or another Code? Like, I, I think it is good to have like a tier relegated. For, like this is stuff that existed once. It's done. Nail is in the coffin. Yeah, I think it's also entirely theirs. There's no dispute over who could pick up F-Zero. I think it's just a matter of them finding an idea and putting it. It's kind of like the way you guys always joke about Kirby, that they had an idea to do a thing and they just slapped Kirby on it. It may just that they may be that they find a game that will work as a racer in some capacity and they're like, oh, we haven't done F-Zero in a while. Let's just put some F-Zero skins on it. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe there's like a, uh, like a, a 3D brawler that they really... Like that was a really great idea. Like, that would oh, be what fucking cool. What, what do we do with this? Like, yeah, Captain Falcon, he punches. <laughs> <laughs> but cool. So next up is going to unless you guys got any other topics that we need to address here. Uh, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, the Red Sox are terrible. We talked about the race at the top of the show because they're, they're, the, we'll be- they're the, the best. Right Sadly, they're the division worst. Oh, oh yeah, and, and they're not that far off of five hundred, but they're the division worst and well deserved. Like they, they just lost four games in a row to the Rays, which help, which yeah. is is bad. They they beat the Tigers. They swept the Tigers three out of th- yeah. They swept the Tigers, um, which they should because the Tigers are bad. Uh, and the they Rays should are, feel bad. Mm-hmm, and the Rays are good, but like this this team is so poorly constructed. Um, a couple of years back, it was twenty nineteen. 2018, maybe they brought in this new uh, president of baseball operations, basically a manager, a uh, general manager, um, to build the team for the for the future and go forward. Uh, and th- this this has been an utter disaster. They have in they they won the World Series in 2018. Great, that's not all that long ago. It was great to to see a World Series again. Um, but in the years since then, it has been one disaster after the next and they have seemingly done everything they can to totally alienate a fan base from trading Mookie Betts from uh, letting Xander Bogarts re-sign with another team not extending him uh, to to a lot of the weird signings and trades that they have made 
uh, bringing in players who are like all these like reclamation projects. Like, oh, he was good a couple of years ago, then he was injured, so maybe we can get something out of him. It, it, it seems like they're trying to put together a roster on a shoestring budget, and there's all this emphasis about getting under the luxury tax. Like, do, do you want to uh, win, or do you want to be frugal? Because you have the money to like re-sign these players, like players that uh, people really liked, like Mookie Betts, like Xander Bargarts, like Andrew Benintendi. Like, how good would this, this team would be so much fucking better Like, if they had... Mookie Betts, Xander Bogars, Andrew Benatay, like players that came up through their system. Like that's how you cultivate your fan base. If there are young players that come up through your system that people really like, just fucking sign them. Just fucking give them the money. You have the money to do it. I saw a statistic. Uh, I'm getting worked up. I saw a statistic uh, a few weeks back. Like the most money that the Red Sox, when they were over the luxury tax threshold, the most money they ever paid into the luxury tax in any given year was a few million bucks. You don't have that fucking money. You don't have the fucking money to slide Mookie Betts a blank check and say, you need to retire as a Red Sox. People fucking love you. You're going to be an MVP on this team for the rest of your career. Hmm. You don't have the money to do that. Of course you do. Fuck you. And this this high and bloom guy who took over as president of baseball operations, I was willing to give him the benefit of doubt for a little while. This team is bad. It is poorly constructed. They have players who are not playing natural positions. Uh, they have players who can't, who couldn't hit a beach ball coming out of them. It, it it's it's bad. This is a train wreck. Here's what you do: just you go to the draft, get a kid from Vanderbilt. Who knows? Maybe roll the, the next Mookie Betts. Roll the dice. Why have Mookie Betts at home when you could just speculate on one five years from now? Right, right. And there's <laughs> baseball um, always puts a lot of currency into what a player might become. Uh, but it, it always seems to be like when when they have that player, that, that prospect who becomes a, a, a major league star... Uh, it always seems like they're so reticent to lock them up. Like, well, we don't want to like give them big money. What if they're not good after this? You already know what you have. Um, why did you spend like all this time and energy trying to like put together this pool of prospects? Is when you get some that are very good, you don't resign them. Um, yeah, this is. Uh, it's been bad. It's been bad for a couple of years, and I think this is all compounded by like uh, all these injuries that had happened over the past few years, especially to a guy like Chris Sale, who poor guy couldn't stay on the field to to save his life, and now that he is back, he's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, he he has looked really really bad, which sucks because he was one of my favorite pitchers before he had all this this history of injuries and I and hopefully he gets better he's able to turn around and have a, a semi-successful season but and, and in terms of market cap it's like the Red Sox have the money they're a big team yep if there was a team that should be spending a lot of money you would think it would be them yep you know sure it's, should it's, be uh, it's kind of surprising they have one of the most loyal fan bases that just spend so much money on this team that's it's it's bizarre to see them not want to reward that loyalty, you know, that they have. They're they're losing people, like yeah. not not so much so the like they they wouldn't uh, people wouldn't come back if they started like putting together a good product on the field again. But it's it's hard to watch, and 
why and again, suffer through this sort of incompetence? It could just be in the moment of, you know, the Rays are on a historic run right now, and you mm-hmm. are the unfortunate soul that just had to play, what, four games against them in a row. That's tough. So, you know, if they, if they, if they go 7-3 seven, seven and three over the next ten games, attitudes may change. Maybe it'll all start to come together and make a little more sense. I don't know. You just kind of have to wait it out and see what happens. Like maybe, and I think, I think this, the, we're the, the team that they twelve games into a hundred. We're, we're eight percent of the way done with the season. Who knows? And, some kid may slip on baseball, and now all of a sudden he can throw a missile into the. I was, I was listening to one of our podcasts <laughs> that we recorded like several months back, and you made another rookie of the year reference. That's a good movie. All right, <laughs> yeah. it's got Busey. It's got your boy Busey, Ryan, and Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern directed it. Back when Busey no, right. he directed it and stars in it. That's mm-hmm. really impressive. Um. Now, you, you're right. You're right. It's it was a, a stretch of four games, and they're now four games under three games under five hundred, something like that. So, like Rome is not burning, but this does not look like a compelling pro- like yeah. uh, uh, product that they're putting. Oh, in the and field. Boston is notoriously like the most emotional, needy fra- like fan base in the world. Well, and see, the, my my thing is. Uh, I, I don't have high expectations for this team. I think if they finish like at or around oh, a little bit above, a little bit below 500, that's sort of in line of where I expect them to be. I don't expect high things out of this team this year. But the fact that my expectations are sort of middling just furthers my frustration of like, you could have had Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts on this team. Mm-hmm. You you could have had your perpetual center fielder and your perpetual shortstop slash second baseman wherever he ends up agreeing to play. On this team for for the next uh, seven, eight, nine years. Said you're looking up two games back from the Baltimore Orioles, right? <laughs> Bottom of the division, they finished last in the division last year too. Yeah. Um, and it 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 seems like they're they're always like uh, in uh, in this Heim Bloom era of the Red Sox, they're always like trying to like retool, get a couple of prospects, roll the dice on. Like these players being good in the future, and then what? What are they going to do if they do strike gold on a couple of prospects that turn into these these uh, big time major league players? Not re-sign them. I don't want to sign up for that. That sounds like it fucking sucks. Why would you like want to see like the, these young players do really well in your system and then go sign with another team, be a farm team for the rest of MLB? It's a bad feeling. I mean, there's probably like. 20 baseball teams that are that, though, already. Mm. The Red Sox just don't need to be that. And, you know, there, there are teams that spend a lot of time real down, like the Astros spent uh, several, several years, a long time, down at the, the bottom of the barrel, and now they're perennial contenders. The The Blue Jays spent a lot of time as sort of a middling team. They're on the uptick. The Orioles were at the bottom of the barrel for a long time, and now they're on the uptick. So, you know... Uh, at least they have have something to root for, and I I don't know how the Orioles are managed. I don't know if they're going to uh, spend the time or and the money to re-sign some of the young guys that they got coming up. I don't know. I I do know for sure that the Blue Jays are willing to spend the money. They're willing to sign their guys and bring in more help because um, they see see a window of opportunity. Seems like Tampa might be raining on the parade a little bit early on in the year here, but. Like Tampa, perennial contender, and they always seem to find ways to lock up their young players. Um, maybe they probably just have a better baseball culture than they do in Boston. It's been very frustrating. 
Very frustrating to the start of the year. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Next up's going to be the retro show. All right. We're going to talk about some old stuff. Um, nothing. Well, we, we, we went into uh, a little bit of a, a talk about some of the movies. There is uh, a game. Um, for the for the GameCube, that I think will be worth spending time on. That's the the remake FIFA, of Resident FIFA two thousand two. FIFA two thousand two, uh, and then a little game called uh, Resident Evil. Right, uh, Capcom remade Resident Evil, and that game is available on Switch. Uh, if you guys haven't played, highly recommend. Super super good remake of uh, of a game. I think the, the original came out in ninety six, ninety seven, and then five years later they're remaking it. Really really great remake. So I gotta get around to that new remake of four that just came out a while ago. Looks really good too. Yeah, it's really really good. Um, that's it. The end. So long. Bye bye.